Some of you may be wondering, you know, what, what, what do I do with my week? Because um, this all I do is just show up on Sunday. Um, I've, I've been playing volleyball. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Um, okay, there it is. You can take it down. I, the Brazilian volleyball team asked me to play for them, and uh, they gave me the weekend off so I could come back and speak. So I, I dyed my hair back to its natural color, gray and thin. And uh, so I'm here this morning, and I go back to London. Uh, I don't even know how we did yesterday. Anybody know? Brazil? Brazil? Viva Brazil. All right, so somebody shot me a picture and said, are you playing volleyball for the Brazilian volleyball team? Sure, why not? Hey, I, wanna, I want you to know, and I want you to, while, you're, while I'm telling you this, get your Bibles turned to Ecclesiastes 1. And uh, if you showed up late, we're a little bit behind schedule this morning. We had some holy smoke in here. Or somewhere in, the, somewhere in the building. We've got smoke going on all over the place. So can't have church without smoke. But uh, we set off the alarm, so we're a little bit behind. But uh, just sit tight. We'll get you out of here in a reasonable time. But you're going to start noticing other people come trying to come in. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the dreams that God put on my heart several years ago was that we would, when, we get, when we would get into a permanent facility, that we would be able to open up a cafe, restaurant-type venue where the profits would go towards towards global missions. And um, as you know, over the last four years or so, we've been involved in a little country in northwest Africa called Burkina Faso, second poorest country in the world. And uh, we've been digging wells and planting churches and sponsoring children and uh, do it, just building buildings. And we've sent teams over there. And we've actually have uh, a couple on the ground, had, had another family on the ground for two years and a brand new couple on the ground now. And uh, but we have opened up our World Cafe, and uh, over the last few years, all the profits have gone towards pretty much Burkina. And uh, we just got in the numbers from this past fiscal year. We go from, um, from all the way from July through the end of June. We took in over $20,000 worth of profits just in that little cafe right there, which translates into seven hand-dug wells and one drilled well. So in the next year, uh, some of the wells have already been dug, but we're going to be eight wells. You have, you have put eight wells in villages. Now, I, I realize sometimes we don't, get it, we don't really get our hands around what that means. These are people who three out of five children die before the age of 10 because they don't have access to clean water. You know, I know some of you may have a well in your backyard. We're not, we're not talking about this kind of well. These are, these are wells that... Um, uh, this is this is their fresh. This is their water. Period. They they cannot get it. And so, um, we have just changed uh, just from the cafe. You know, we just took that life expectancy number and just blew it out of the water just by buying coffee here at Westridge Church. And so, I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you for um, not drinking coffee, but just the the fact that you're investing in in what we're doing here. You're believing in the fact that God is using this church to church to change lives. Because when we build a well, it, got, it allows us to build a church, and then the gospel is spread all over a village. And it's not just we're saving lives, but we're, we're saving people's lives for eternity. God's using this church so we can plant the gospel in these villages so they can hear about Jesus. And m- literally, villages turn from following after Muslim religion to Christianity, and we see the gospel spread, and it's really an amazing thing. So I wanted to take a moment and tell you that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you caught the whole scope of what was going on in that video a moment ago, and I think you did, but Stevie had made American Idol twice. He actually, which we didn't talk about in the video, made The Voice. And um, here's a guy that basically walked away from all of it to plant a church. And I know that to a lot of folks, you know, you watch something like that and you go, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, how many people would love 
to be on American Idol. He's this good-looking kid who can, he can sing, he can play the piano, he's got a beautiful family. I mean, he's got all the right stuff, and yet here he is, he's finding himself chasing meaning to life down all of the wrong avenues based upon where God had his heart and where he was calling him to be. And, and, and everything that he was doing was turning into an empty road with a dead end at the end of it. And, and I think if we were all to be honest with ourselves, we, we would say that we've all at one point or another, I know I have, we've all found ourselves in this season of life where we're looking at life and we're just asking ourselves, is, is this really it? I mean, is this, is this all there is to it? I mean, is this really the road I want to be on? Is this as good as it gets? Or is there really more to life th- than, than, than where I currently am, the, the road that I'm currently walking down? We're in a brand new series that we're starting today called Chasing the Wind. And we're going to be looking, uh, very, taking a very close light, a look at the life of King Solomon. Now, here's a guy who had everything life could offer, and yet he came to this point in his life where he begins to wrestle with this very same question, is there more to life than this? Now, to give you a little background on Solomon, uh, here, he's, he's the son of Israel's greatest king, King David. Uh, his mother, you, you may have heard of her, her name was Bathsheba. Solomon ruled over Israel for 40 years. First Kings chapter 11 tells us that he had um, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, what, what's a concubine? Well, con- concubine's kind of a, pretty much a live-in lover, all right? Solomon's got a thousand women, all right? And, and I know the Bible says he's the wisest man that ever lived, but you've got to question the boy's wisdom at this point somewhere, all right? But according to the Bible, he was richer and wiser than any man that had ever lived before him. He was famous. He was powerful. He had rulers of other nations seeking his advice um, because he was so wise. And yet here's this guy who, does, has every, who has everything a person could want. I mean, it was all right at his disposal. And yet we read in the very first part of the book of Ecclesiastes that he is dissatisfied with his life. Now, I wonder how many of you in this room, and I want you to do this by a show of hands, how many of you are the kind of person, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm the kind of, this kind of person, so I'm gonna raise my hand. How many of you are the kind of person that you, you have to really learn things the hard way? I want you to raise your <laughs> I'm looking at some of you going, you better get your hand up. All right, I know too much about you. All right, um, Solomon was this kind of guy, all right? Solomon was the kind of guy that, that really had to learn things the hard way. And um, as wise as he was, um, he was a guy who, who just constantly struggled. And he set out on a, on a very difficult journey to find out that, that there was more to life than what he had spent his life trying to accumulate and accomplish. And his conclusion was incredibly depressing. Matter of fact, this may be one of the most depressing places in the whole Bible, the first part of the book of Ecclesiastes. Matter of fact, the next 20 minutes of your life could be the most depressing minutes of your life, could be the most depressing 20 minutes that we've ever had in the history of Westridge Church. And so I want you to to dig in with me to this very depressing moment that we're about to have. Verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, here's what he says. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon is a guy who is giving us a very authentic, transparent look into the struggle of his day. And he assesses the world around him. Remember, he's the most powerful man of his day. And he describes his pursuit of life as vanity. Some of your Bibles may use the word meaningless. The word vanity is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It means meaningless. It means empty. It means uh, futility. Uh, that which vanishes quickly leaves nothing behind and does not satisfy. Okay? That, let me say it again. Leaves, that, that which vanishes quickly leaves nothing behind and does not satisfy. 
Now that definition may strike a chord with some of you right now. With just the little that you know about Solomon, maybe you can already relate to his journey. All right? You're striving to find meaning to life. You're on this path where you're in a pursuit of trying to, to, to find purpose. You're trying to find meaning. You're trying to figure out what God is trying to do in your life right now. Maybe some of you are in your 20s. And you are desperately trying to figure out what to do with your life. And for whatever reason, you keep running into a wall. Some of you, uh, I know a lot of you are in your 30s. And uh, you're trying to, to make a name for yourself in your career. You're chasing a dream. But something's missing inside of you. There's a void inside of you. Some of you, maybe you hit your 40s and you're looking over your life and, and you're asking the question, is this it? Um, the, the plans you made in your 20s and 30s didn't quite pan out the way that you thought they might. I mean, you, you got the house, but it, it wasn't what you thought it would be. You made the money, but, but having some money didn't feel like you thought it was going to feel when you were in your 20s. You poured hours into your kids' activities. You poured hours you know, into your kids' sports. And, and, and you're, trying to, you're finding out that it's not panning out just like maybe you dreamed or maybe you thought it would. And, and, or maybe your nest is, is emptying as we speak. A lot of your kids are going to college, going back to college. And it's a bit unsettling. And so you're struggling a bit. Maybe you're in your 50s. And you're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. I mean, you, you want your life to, to, to matter. You want... To, to, to pour into some other, maybe you, you, know, you, you want to leave some kind of legacy. Your kids are out of the house. Maybe your marriage has, has made it through the challenges of, of the last 20, 25, 30 years, and, and yet you're inside of you, something's still missing. Maybe you're starting over. Your marriage didn't make it through all of that turmoil that goes on when you're in your 40s, and, and here you, you, you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're in your 60s or 70s or, or even older, and, and you're looking at your life a little bit differently now. Things that used to seem important aren't quite as important to you. You, you now have grandchildren. You, you're, you're, I hate to say this, but you, you, you feel that you're on the backside of life a bit. But, but you've got time and you have energy and, and some of you have some resources and you want your life to count for something. Now, regardless of where you are in, in life right now, every generation asks the same question. Every decade of people ask the same question. Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Now, what did Solomon do, uh, Solomon realized in his chase to find meaning in life? Well, if you look at verse 3, it says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Now I want you to know, Solomon is painting a picture of monotony here. It's almost like he's comparing life to a person running on a treadmill or a mouse running on a wheel. He says, basically, it's just pointless. He describes his pursuit to find meaning in life as vanity, as meaningless, as pointless. It's, 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 it's an empty pursuit because he realizes in all that he's doing that nothing ever changes. Now think about this for a moment. Generations come, generations go. All right, People live, they die, the sun rises, and it sets in the very same place every day. The wind blows pretty much in the same pattern every day. The streams flow to the oceans, and yet the ocean is never full because rain clouds suck the or water, gets sucked up into the atmosphere. Rain clouds form. They dump water back into the streams again. The streams flow back into the ocean. I mean, it's just this never-ending cycle that... that happens all around us and we don't even think about it 
But the big question that Solomon raises here is, what in the world does a man gain by working hard, pouring his life into all of this stuff if nothing ever changes, if every day is just basically the same? If earth and nature always stay the same, if generations simply come and go, then what's the difference? Solomon basically wants to know. He, wa- he wants the point. He, he, what he's saying, what, what's the point in making all this effort in life if all we're doing is basically running in circles? And some of you may be feeling that same tension right now. And we, we think about our lives, and the reality is, is that many of us get up and we basically do the same thing every day. We get up, we eat breakfast, we brush our teeth, hopefully. We take a shower, we get dressed, we go to work, we, we work all day long pretty much doing the same thing that we did the day before. We come home, we eat dinner, we get our kids ready for bed, we watch a bit of TV, we, we re, maybe read a book, we go to sleep. And then we wake up the next day and we just repeat that same cycle over and over and over again. And like Solomon, some of you have gotten to the point where you just go, what's the point of this? This seems monotonous. This seems futile. This seems just very pointless to me. You're like Mick Jagger. I mean, you try and you try and you try and you try, but you can't get no satisfaction. All right? Or maybe you're like you two and Bono. I mean, you've run, you've crawled, you've climbed these city walls, and you still haven't found what you're looking for. Okay? I remember that song. All right? So what's the point if nothing ever changes? If everything just seems to repeat itself? Now listen to what Solomon says next, and I want to give you a warning. It it gets more depressing. Verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Is Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new, it's already, uh, it has already, uh, it has been already in the ages before us. Now, Solomon discovers that not only does nothing ever change, but he also discovers that nothing is ever new. Nothing's new. Now Solomon makes this observation that people around him are constantly searching for satisfaction and happiness in new things. Remember, he's got more wealth and stuff than anyone alive at this point. And he says, listen, you know what? Nothing, nothing's really new under the sun. Nothing's really new for people to chase after. Now, it'd be easy for, for us at this point to just look at Solomon, you know, if we could talk to him and go, you know, honestly, that's really not true. I mean, there are things that are being created all the time, brand new things. I mean, you look at the field of technology. You look at the entertainment industry. I mean, you can basically create a new Spider-Man movie and pretend that the other ones never, ever happened. All right? It's new. All right? Look at all the progress in the medical field. I mean, really, I mean, come on, Solomon. We, we seem to be coming up with new stuff all of the time. Now, remember, Solomon was, was an incredibly wise man, so I'm sure that he took all of this into consideration when he wrote these words. But the point of what he's trying to say was not so much about new inventions or new technology or new ideas. The point he's making is that for centuries, people have been chasing after new inventions, new technology, and new ideas to try to escape from dissatisfaction and the lack of joy in their lives. I mean, you think about this for a moment. Advertising agencies make billions of dollars every year in TV ads, magazine ads, radio ads, and all other kinds of media formats trying to convince you that you want and that you need new. I mean, there are all kinds of hooks out there to convince you that new is better, that you would feel a whole lot better about yourself and you'd feel more satisfied if you had new. Now, a great example of this is Apple. 
Okay, I mean, think about this. In just a few months, something is going to happen. All right? This is the iPhone 4. Now, not the iPhone 4S. This is the iPhone 4. All right? I'm a little bit behind and new. All right? All right? In October, what's going to happen? The iPhone 5 is coming out. And some of you are waiting for that. Okay? And, and, and every October it happens, Apple comes out with a brand new iPhone, and every year people trade in the old one for the new one. Why? Because we love new. New is better, right? I mean, new gives us a buzz. I mean, I don't have Siri. Some of you have Siri, and, and so I'll be get, hopefully, maybe getting Siri in a couple months. But, I mean, it's new. And, a per, and I, I personally know people who, who have gone into debt, serious debt, who have gone delinquent on paying their bills so that they could do this every year. They get the new iPhone, new iPad. Why? Because they are obsessed with the idea that new is going to provide something that they're missing. New is going to provide happiness. New is going to somehow bring some kind of satisfaction that they're currently missing. We do this with houses. We do it with cars. We do it with boats. We do it with relationships. I mean, I'm to the point now, and this is the honest truth, where I hear at least one person a month and sometimes more now who have left their spouse's wife for a new relationship. Why? Because we think new is better. That it'll create something, uh, uh, some sense of satisfaction and happiness that we're missing. New will fill the void and the emptiness. But here's what Solomon has discovered. All we're doing is repeating history. Every generation has done the exact same thing that we're doing today. We're taking part in the same search that Solomon took part in thousands of years ago. And we're coming up, listen, with the very same result. Vanity, meaningless, pointless. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, trying, hoping that we're going to get some kind of different result. But look at verse 11. Now get ready for a, a sober dose of reality. Now, this may be the most depressing verse in the whole Bible. He says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will be there any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. In other words, he says, Nothing remains. Nothing is new. All right? Nothing ever changes and nothing remains. Solomon points out in verse 11 that everything we work so hard for, everything that we accomplish in life, everything new we chase after is one day going to die or someone else is going to own it after we leave this earth. And so he says, one day here we're going to die and no one's going to even remember what we've accomplished or what we've accumulated on this earth while we were alive. And according to Solomon, now this is very sobering. Get ready for this. No one's even going to remember our names. And you're saying, well, I'm hoping somebody will remember my name. Now, I want, to, I want to give you an example of this, all right? This picture right here is a picture of, of that's my dad when he was uh, at his high school prom, all right? And I sat down with my boys yesterday, and, and both of them, and I said, can you tell me the name of the people that are on both sides of him? And, and they said, well, is that his parents? And I said, yeah. So what's their name? And my son Taylor goes, Grandma and Grandpa Bloy. And I said, no. No, I appreciate that, Taylor. I said, good, good. I, and I asked both of my boys, what's their name? Okay? The, now, they, they actually met my grandmother, but they never met my grandfather. He died before they were born. But we talk about them. They could not remember. And by the way, it's Jack and Grace. And my grandfather's real name is John. And, you know, so there are two family names that are kind of trickled down in the generations, but they didn't know who they were. Now I'm going to show you the next picture. Now, these are my great-great-grandparents. 
All right, and if you look real closely, for those of you that knew my dad, you go, man, that looks like your dad, except for all that scruffy stuff on his neck, right, which I don't know what was going on there. That man needs a shave. The woman on the left, I have a cousin, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. She looks just like her, identical. If you could see that picture a little clearer, my, those are my dad's eyes, and it looks a lot like him. I don't know their names. Now, my aunts both watch me. They're going to be upset when they see this because they think I'm supposed to know all this, but I don't. I, I, I don't remember their names. Honestly, don't. And that's, those are my great-great-grandparents. The point of it is that, listen, most of us have no idea who our great-grandparents' names are or what they were. I mean, many of us don't even know our relatives a generation removed for us. And when you think of all the people that are currently living, living and all of the people that have ever lived, how many of them did something that was of such significance that it left an impression on the world and their names are remembered long, long after they're dead? Very, 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 very few people. And Solomon is just recognizing that this, this reality and he's having a moment where he's asking the question that almost ever, everyone ever asked, what's the point? Is life really worth living? Do I even have to make an effort? If everyone's going to die with me and no one is really going to ever remember that I existed, then what's the point? Now, some of you may be wondering, why in the world did I come to this depressing church this morning? I mean, Brian, you are Debbie Downer this morning. I came to church to get a lift. I, came, I needed a boost. I was hoping this Chasing After the Wind series would really, you know, give me, you know, breathe a little life into me. All I want to do is take a bridge right now. Now, give me a little hope. Well, let's see if we can get there. How did Solomon get to such a bleak place in his life? How did the, the wealthiest man of his day, the wisest man of his day, get to such a bleak point in his life? Well, let me give you some hope by pointing out how Solomon got to this place. This, this may sound very familiar to you. The reason Solomon looked at life as pointless, the reason he saw everything as meaningless, is because his view of life was very short-sighted. Okay? Solomon's biggest issue, as he desperately tried to figure out the purpose of life, the meaning of life, is that he put all of his focus and attention in the here and the now. His whole pursuit of meaning and purpose involved temporary worldly things. And he describes everything he pursued, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, as being stuff that was under the sun. Let me show you. Verse, uh, verse 3, he talks about things under the sun. Verse 9, under the sun. Verse 13, under the heavens. Verse 14, under the sun. And in verse 17, he tells us that he set out on a couple different paths as, he re, as a result of short-sightedness. And he says, so I set out to learn everything from, wisness, uh, from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like a chasing after the wind. Here's what he said. He said, I tried to, he said, I tried to use all of my intelligence and wisdom to try to figure it all out. He says, but I got nothing. He said, then I tried the opposite of that. I, I just got foolish. I just got into folly. In other words, he said, I decided to live in sin, pursue pleasure, forget the consequences of my actions, and I came up empty. It was all, he says, a chasing after the wind. Now, I'm, I'm curious, how many of you have ever tried to chase the wind before? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, we don't chase the wind. Why? Because we can't see it. You, I mean, unless there's like a hurricane or, you know, a tornado, and I know some people chase those, but I mean, we don't look out and go, I'm going to chase the wind because you can't see the wind. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have ever stood out in the front yard with your kids and you've done this before? And you've chased after bubbles. 
How many of you have ever done that before? Okay, good. It's good fun if you haven't tried it, all right? But here's the deal. If, if I were to drive past your house and you were out there by yourself without your kids, just you, all right, going like this, I would think something's wrong with you, all right? Because bubbles are made of what? Soap and what? What? Air. And you know what's crazy? Every time you chase a bubble, what happens? If I could just look, it's beautiful, it's colorful. It, it just, what happens? It just evaporates, it goes away. I mean, a bubble is soap filled with air. And it's silly, isn't it, when you think about, you know, the, 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 we chase these things thinking that somehow, I'm going to catch it, I'm going to catch it. And ve- I mean, we, we might catch one, but then it, what happens? Boop! That's what it looks like to chase the wind. That's what it looks like to chase after things that don't last. We look at it, we go, if I can just get it, if I can get my hands around it, and we, ch- we chase in the wind, and we get it, and boom, it's gone. You know, maybe you ever bought a new car, and within a week, someone puts a scratch on it. You're like, Argh. it's no longer new, and you're looking to trade it in. Solomon describes his short-sightedness, and he says, you know what? What it did is it caused me to pursue all of life, in, or pursue meaning to life in all of the wrong places. Now, I want to say this to you, okay, because I know sometimes we, we hear stuff like this and we get a, lot, a little, we miss the point. There's nothing wrong with having a new house, a nice car, nothing wrong with having money, or even the latest phone. The question is, where are you trying to find your happiness? Where are you really trying to find meaning to life? Where are you trying to find contentment and joy? If it's in all of this stuff, then you've probably come to the same conclusion that Solomon came to, vanity meaningless, pointless. Now, it really isn't until we get into chapter 3, and we're not going to be completely there yet, but it isn't until we get into chapter 3 that Solomon really begins to, 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 to find hope in the fact that there's more to life than, than this. It's one of my favorite places in the Bible, verse 11, chapter 3. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, and yet, it's yet so that he cannot fathom or find out what God has done from beginning to end. So, I mean, Solomon confesses in chapter 3 that, that God created people with eternity in mind. He put inside of us, this, this, every one of us, um, this sense that there's got to be more to life than what the world has to offer. We were created, don't miss this, we were created with a longing inside of our hearts that would cause us to be dissatisfied with the temporary to be satisfied with worldly things and to search and pursue for answers to why we're here and what life is all about. And, but unfortunately, many people in life will never figure this out because they get sucked into chapter one. They're never able to leave chapter one. They never allow themselves to discover the truth of chapter three, verse 11. And so many people, they desperately want meaning in life and satisfaction from life. There's this feeling inside of all of us that there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, but I want you to know that it's natural. There is a natural God-made void inside of all of us that we start out somewhere in our lives with this desire, this longing to fill. And yet most of us go the route of either wisdom, we use all of our knowledge to try to figure it out, and sometimes we use our smarts to walk even further away from it or we use all of we use foolishness and we try desperately to fill the void with pleasure or sinful behavior and what happens we end up disappointed with no fulfillment no purpose no answers 
And every generation before us, listen, has, has set out on the exact same journey to find meaning in life. Using the exact same two paths, wisdom or foolishness. And they end up in the very same place. Vanity. And guess what? The generations that come behind us, I mean, I, I hate to tell you this, they're going to follow and do the same thing. Yet, here's the reality. No matter which path a person finds themselves on, they will never, ever, ever find what they're looking for until they take their eyes off of the temporary fillers, the things under the sun, and start looking beyond the sun to eternity. According to the Bible, there's only one place where we can find the life that we really want. According to Solomon, there's only one place that we'll ever find all that we need, the life that we were truly created for, the life that we all want, But I got to tell you, it's only found in Jesus. True meaning to life can only be found in one place, Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus tells us that our enemy Satan has a plan for our lives. Kill, steal, destroy. Satan's plan is to invade your life, to kill, steal, and destroy, to kill our hope, destroy, derail our search for meaning and purpose in life. You say, how does he do this? He puts things in our way to divert our attention to temporary things. He wants us to ignore the internal purpose that God created us to pursue. And he does it by convincing us that something else can fill the void inside of our hearts outside of life in Christ. Listen, there is something else. Something else will do it. Something else will fill it. Something else will satisfy your life outside of following Jesus. And he does it by trying to convince us that in reality, the whole idea of really following Jesus is really what steals our joy from us. Now, don't you remember, he's the father of all what? Lies. And he wants to lie to you. He wants to convince us that if we follow after the ways of Jesus, that it will really steal things from us instead of providing joy and happiness and true satisfaction. And this is true not just for people who are not Christ followers, but it's also true for people who profess to be believers. There's something out there that's going to give me more satisfaction, more contentment outside of truly dedicating my life to following Jesus. Now, I am entering into the uh, late 40 range. I'll be 47 this month. I'm watching my friends, I'm watching my neighbors, I'm watching my peers, people my age. It's a, it's a crazy thing, and I know many of you have already been down this road. But I'm watching them come to the realization that they've spent years climbing a ladder that was placed against the wrong wall. But the sad part of it to me is that instead of changing their wall, they just get a brand new ladder and they just keep climbing the same wall. I'm just going to change my ladder, but I'm going to keep climbing up to this. It's a perilous pursuit. And I'm watching friends of mine just totally mess their lives up. God calls Satan the father of lies for a reason. And if you're here today and you've, you've bought into the idea that following Jesus is nothing more than a ploy to suck really true joy and contentment out of your life, then I want you to know you have bought into the greatest lie that was ever told by the master liar. 
Jesus doesn't lie. He offers the full truth. And the Bible says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus tells us that the purpose for his coming into this world was to provide life to us. And not just any old life. He talks about abundant life. The word abundant means exceptional. It means remarkable. It means extraordinary. This is a life that Jesus offers to those of us who place our hope and our trust and our faith in, in, in him alone to be God and Savior of their lives. Listen, Jesus offers a life of purpose, a life of joy, a life that is filled with meaning and satisfaction and hope for the future. And in this life, it's not about making a name for yourself. It's not about building your own kingdom. It's about making Jesus' name famous and building and expanding his kingdom. And when we do that, you know what? It, it provides incredible freedom. Incredible freedom. And Jesus offers this life to all of us he did it by providing a way to have eternal relationship with, with, with God the Father, by providing forgiveness of sin and a way to reconcile things with God through his life, desert, uh, death, and resurrection. And for those of you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, God will save us. Tells us in another place, if we repent of our sins and we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he will fill that void in our lives and restore you back to the life that you were truly created for, a right relationship with God. And this morning, you can leave this place. Maybe you walked in like Solomon, but you can leave this place knowing what true freedom and life and hope and purpose and joy and meaning and fulfillment are truly all about. You can get on that journey. For those of you that already know Jesus Christ, I want to ask you a question. You're, you're a believer in Christ. You've been, you know, maybe you've, you, you, you came to know him at a young age or maybe it was in the last couple years. Where's your focus right now? Where's your focus right now? Are you living your life with attention focused on things under the sun? Or are you looking beyond the sun? Living your life with the eternal purpose that God created you for. Sometimes even believers need to be reminded that we've got to stop chasing the wind, the temporary fillers, and start living with eternity in mind in every area of our lives. And so for you, are you finding your hope and your joy and your contentment and your meaning in knowing that you're living your life for eternal purposes? If you're not, it's a great opportunity at this moment just to repent and to refocus and to leave here today with your heart and your mind set on eternal things. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. Father, there are those in here this morning who, like Solomon, seeking after wisdom, trying to figure it all out, yet running into just emptiness. There are those who are totally grabbed onto foolishness, pursuing pleasure, knee-deep in sin, and yet every road leads to emptiness. When they put their head on their pillow at night, they feel empty. And my prayer this morning is for that they would put their faith and their trust in the only one that can truly provide meaning to life. That's Jesus. And they wouldn't just put their faith and trust and receive salvation, but Lord, that they would truly live their life in pursuit of discovering the purpose for what they were created for, Lord, which is always connected to eternal things. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. I want you at this very moment. This isn't a magic prayer. I mean, God knows your heart at this very moment. I don't know your heart. God does. 
But I want to pray with you, and you can pray with me. Just say, Jesus, at this very moment, I repent of trying to fill my life with all kinds of things outside of you, believing that somehow or another that I could find purpose and meaning and fulfillment to life outside of Jesus. I repent of that. I need forgiveness. I changed my mind. And this morning, I put all of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I put my faith in the plan that you have for me. And I stopped trying to chase after the wind. I stopped trying to chase after the things of life that continue to send me down dead-end roads. Lord, I, I don't even know what this means at this moment, but I do know the Bible tells me to confess that Jesus is Christ, the Lord, the, Lord, the God, and so I do that this morning. The Bible tells me that I need to repent. I need, I need forgiveness of my sins, and so, Lord, I'm asking for that today. The Bible tells me I need to put all my faith and my trust in Christ alone. I can't do this on my own. It's only through Jesus, and so I do that at this moment. And I receive Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. If you just did that, you are on the journey. We want to help you to take the next step. And we want to ask, I want to ask you to fill out your connection card, take it to the atrium, to the help center. We've got some folks out there that want to help you to take that next step with Jesus. Listen, I, I want to, for the, the rest of you, I want you to look at me for a moment. And I, I know that most of you in this room right now are at one point in your life have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But can I ask you a question? Would you honestly say that your life reflects that? Truly, I mean, let's be honest. And, and, and I have to ask the same question to myself all the time in the pursuits that we, you know, Amy and I, the, where we invest our money, where we, the, the, the things that we do with our time, what we're looking at. Are you more focused in the stuff under the sun or the stuff beyond the sun? Because I'm going to tell you, we all get sucked into this trap sometimes. And we, and we need moments like this where we go, I need a reality check. I need a perspective change. Where we go, you know what, God? I wasn't created for this. Jesus didn't save me for this. To pour all of my life and my attention and the best of my resources into stuff that aren't, that's not going to last. I can't, I'm not going to make a name for myself. People aren't going to remember me. But what they will remember is the fact that I brought them to Christ, that I shared Christ. My role here is to make Jesus famous and to expand his kingdom, not my own. And I want, as we go into this series, as you go through the rest of this day, as you're at this moment, if you're at a place in your life where you just, perspective needs to be, you need a true reality check. This would be a great moment just to go, God, I'm sorry. I confess, I'm, I'm off track. Things are a little out of whack right now. I'm, I'm probably talking to a lot of folks who aren't here at the moment, but I'm sure that there are many of you in this place that, that you need that. So I want to I challenge you, not, just, not right, just right now, but you can do it right now, but take the rest of your day and just, I want you to re, 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 look at your priorities, look at your focus, look at where you're investing your money, your time, your resources, your talents, and go, God, is it all under the sun or is it beyond the sun? Am I chasing the wind, the stuff that won't last? Or am I truly invested in eternal things beyond this life?